You are listening to the Moms Full Circle Podcast, a place for moms or moms-to-be to come together and support one another, laugh together, maybe cry together, ask your most random baby questions to judgment-free, and tune in to hear all things motherhood. As a mama myself, I know the importance of having a tribe to lean on during this wild ride. I hope this podcast will do that for you too. So grab a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of wine, probably the video monitor too, and let's dive in. All right. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Moms Full Circle podcast. Today I have Dr. Amy Bailey on the podcast, and we are going to be talking all things pelvic floor, physical therapy. She is also a yoga instructor and a health and wellness coach, so we'll get into some of that too. But welcome, Amy, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just honored to be able to share what I love to talk about and just educate the public about what I do. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of briefly chatted before this started that this is such an area that it's kind of a gray area that maybe a lot of women and even men don't know about. So I think this is going to be really informative for people today. So why don't we dive in? Tell us more about you, what you do and how you got into this field. Yeah. So I am a physical therapist by trade. I went to PT school and got my master's and my doctorate. And I started like most PTs. I wanted to do sports and work with athletes and do orthopedics. Um, But quickly into that, I realized it was not fun for me. And I begged my boss at the time. We lived in a very rural place. And I thought I wanted to do pediatrics, but there wasn't an opportunity. So I'm like, what else is out there? I don't want to work with athletes anymore. And it was specifically the athletes I was working with. It was a lot of golfers and tennis players and men specifically who didn't want to listen to a word I said as a young female. So she said, what about women's health? And at this point, I had not had any babies. I didn't have any women's health issues. I didn't even know really what women's health PTs did. But I went to a course because I was like, I'll do anything at this point. So I went to a course um, and learned how to do internal exams on women and assess the pelvic floor for its muscle function and coordination. And I came back to work and had a wait list. I'm not kidding, two months long. Like I was blown away that so many women needed help and I had no idea. Like I had kind of heard my grandmother say she beat on herself and she sneezed, but I don't know. I just kind of thought, I brushed it away, I think because of my age and I I didn't think that much of it at the time, but then when I came back and heard story after story of women specifically, at this time I only treated women, now I treat women and men, but um, I heard story after story and not all of them were old. I was blown away by young women who were having problems with leaking or pelvic pain. And since then I've had three children. And (laughs) once you kind of go through a pregnancy and a postpartum period yourself, you see how easy it is to get weak or to find out you had some complications postpartum. It's not a walk in the park at all. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I can agree to that. (laughs) (laughs) So after I just saw what a difference I made and how women wanted help and they listened to what I said and they were just eager to feel better and to play with their kids without peeing on themselves, to jump on the trampoline, to have sex with their husbands without pain, all these issues that were just considered common or even not even talked about, I saw how I could intervene and provide education and help to women, and they just changed the course of my career. And And so I've been doing specifically women's health for 13 years now. And like you said, too, it's like, so I think people just kind of thought it was normal to pee themselves or have pain. And it's thankfully, I think, coming around that, you know, that's actually not normal and it's not something that you have to deal with. There's something that you can 
do about it, but it definitely, I would say, still has a way to go. So did you find, I'm curious, because you got into this field before you had children, so did you find that like your pregnancy experiences or your labor or your postpartum, like, do you think that they were any different because you had this background? Well, you know, medical professionals are the worst patients. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do think they were different, but I also kind of assumed that I wouldn't have really any problems. I was young-ish. I was in shape. I ate well through my pregnancies. I exercised through my pregnancies. Um, But what kind of blew me away is I had planned for a vaginal delivery with my first and ended up having a C-section. And so I don't think I was prepared for that type of healing. And how hard it is to even pick up your baby after you've had a C-section. So there were things that I was not personally prepared for that now I know to prepare my patients for, and not in a scary way, but uh, let's if this is the route that ends up happening, let's talk about how to support your belly when you go to pick up your baby or to sneeze. Let's talk about some scar massage to your, inc- your incision. Let's talk about healing time and what that really means as far as getting back to regular activities or even high-level activities. Yeah. Um, So it helped me be a better PT going through it. My second delivery was also a C-section, but I had a trial of labor and a long trial of labor and pushing. So I had sort of the pelvic floor symptoms, but also another incision. And then my third delivery was actually a vaginal delivery. So it was really cool to have three very different birth stories for me to relate to women on different levels. Oh, for sure. Now, okay, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to pivot a little bit from what we had planned because I'm totally connecting with what you're saying. Um, Similarly, I only have my daughter um, that I had five months ago. But same thing, I had planned for a vaginal delivery and I was in labor for like 40 plus hours and she wasn't coming out. So I had an unplanned C-section, same thing. I, you know, had that healthy pregnancy. I figured, sure, you know, postpartum is going to be tough with recovery and healing, but I'll be back in no time. And it is, it's so, you know, you, you add that what my midwife called it. She said my pelvic floor was destroyed (laughs) basically from labor. And then you add the C-section recovery on top of it. So I'm curious, you talked about, you know, with your clients, you try to prep them for like, you know, here's what it could look like. And then here's things we could do in the recovery stage that could help you specifically after a C-section. So what would you say are some of the things maybe that you recommend for women that do go through a C-section that could be helpful to them in their recovery? I always let women know whether they have a C-section or not, their pelvic floor is affected. And I think that's what some people miss. They think, oh, it's just, even if they didn't have a long trial of labor like you did, they think, oh, it's my belly. It's only going to affect my belly. Mm -hmm. But you went through nine months of carrying additional weight, weight of a baby, weight of increased amniotic fluid, increased blood volume, and all of that weight just sits essentially in our pelvic floor and provides some strain to it. So we've got extra weight. And then if we did go through or do go through a pushing phase, we have to prepare women, hey, you may have some trauma to your pelvic floor, but also we're going to have to think about an incision healing. And it takes time. I mean, you know, for an incision of that depth, because multiple layers get cut in the C-section, it can take anywhere from six weeks to eight weeks plus for just the incision to close and heal. And then we want to mobilize that area. So I talked early about how to mobilize scar tissue once it is healed and how important that is because the whole body is connected. And if we have tight scar tissue at our abdomen, it does affect our hip. I 
and it affects our spine and it affects how our core contracts and our breathing. So I really want women to talk through early mobility, early scar massage, and not being afraid to touch their C-section. I feel like a lot of women, it's so sensitized there and maybe there's some things in our head because if, especially if we hadn't planned on having a c-section it's a mental game to wrap our mind around going through a c-section too so just sometimes touching that incision is very scary for women mm-hmm. so i'll advocate for them hey grab a washcloth or a cotton ball or something where it's not your direct hand and um touch that c-section scar around once it's closed we want it to close first but you can start even touching the belly around it before it's closed but really start to reconnect to your body and feel it's okay. And even verbally, like telling yourself, it's okay, I'm still whole. I think a lot of us think we are broken if we don't deliver vaginally. So just feeling okay that you didn't fail. You had to have that baby the way that Mm -hmm. it came out, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of women do kind of go through that period, especially if it's unplanned, you kind of, don't even have time to process it until later on, and then you sit with those feelings. Um, but you had mentioned the scar massage, and it's interesting. When I saw um, a PT following my birth experience, she had assumed that somebody had told me to do a scar massage, and I had honestly, I hadn't even heard of it up until that point. I was eight weeks postpartum, and she said, you know, something along the lines of, well, you've been doing a scar massage, right? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And even to hear you say, you know, that it's connected to your hips, your back, your core, and it can make all of that difference is crazy. And I, it, it bothers me that, you know, more women aren't told this, you know, right in the hospital or sent home with information or checked in on of, hey, here's something you should keep an eye out and here's how to do it. I agree. And you know, if somebody had had a knee surgery, they would have been immediately sent to PT, an ortho PT, and they would have done scar massage. Yeah. Or a surgery or a back surgery or anything else. And why there's that delaying care or even not the follow-up in care, I don't know. It's, It's a barrier for sure in women's health now. And for someone listening that might not be familiar with a scar massage, can you kind of just give a quick like explanation of what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, there are, you can Google different techniques to use, but there is no magic way to scar massage. Some people, if you read it, will say like, do a C pattern or an up and down. What you don't want is friction. So you're not laying your fingers on the tissue and just vigorously rubbing because that would be painful. <laughs> so basically you are taking your fingers and taking the skin and gently moving it. That will lay down better, a better fiber pattern for the scar tissue. When scarring happens, it kind of lays down very haphazardly and thick. I mean, we all know kind of what a scar looks like. We want a scar to almost be invisible and the tissue to move just like the skin around it. So that is your goal is just to get that tissue moving. If you're not comfortable doing that, please seek out a pelvic health PT or if you don't have one in your area, if you happen to be somewhere that doesn't have one, you're not in a big city, find a regular PT. They've done scar massage on, like I said, knees and hips and you know all sorts of other procedures. It's really the same technique. It's just getting that tissue moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. One thing I want to throw in here too is we need scar massage when we have a perineal tear too. So women who've had a grade one, two, three tear they need to mobilize that scar too. And that's one area. I think the C-section massage is getting out there, that word, that people are not getting the message that if you have a tear from the delivery or even an episiotomy, that tissue needs to be massaged too. 
And I would imagine, like you said, with the C-section scar, that's another area that women are probably very fearful to do any kind of um, touching down there because it was painful and they don't want to get back there again. So yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to reach. Yeah. <laughs> so it can be uncomfortable to strain our arms and, and try to massage. So I always recommend if you have a supportive partner, they should be massaging that area. Or again, find a pelvic health PT who is trained in how to safely touch that area when it is mm-hmm. cleared by a midwife or an OB. I don't do any touching to the perineal scar until it's completely closed or until I've, I've, I've talked to the midwife or OB and it's been after that six-week visit. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, you also, on top of, you know, PT, health and wellness coach, yoga, so, but I like that. I think it's cool. So how do those all tie together for you? Yeah, so I have been doing yoga most of my life, and I love it, and so I went to the training just because I loved yoga, and I wanted to be able to just understand my own practice better, but as I went through the training, I realized, hey, I can help patients with this. I can create little yoga flows and I I don't do I don't teach like hour-long yoga classes I will create a 15 to 20 minute flow for different people who may have pelvic pain or I have a client who just reached out to me who had a head-on collision and her arms in a cast and she can't get on and off the ground to do a regular yoga flow so I'm just creating a simple chair yoga flow for her so I just incorporate it for people as they need it Sometimes I just use it to do one pose. We're not even doing a yoga class or a flow. It's just, hey, can we get into happy baby and breathe through it? And if they don't have the flexibility for a happy baby pose, how can we modify that? How can we use one leg instead of two or a strap? And so just really being creative and making the poses fit the exact client. That's been wonderful, especially for any client that has pelvic pain or who's very just high strong and need to kind of be brought down and and take a minute to just breathe and listen to their body. Yoga has been great for that. Um, I started doing the health and wellness coaching during the pandemic. Um, I had to, when everything shut down, I had to take my business online and I was doing a lot of Zoom calls with my clients and I had not done that before. I was very, I'm a very hands-on physical therapist and it was very hard to communicate for me through a screen without touching my my patient. So I started doing some courses in health and wellness coaching and got a certificate so I could learn to communicate better and learn how to educate my patients better and get better feedback from them on their goals. I think I had been very in my head. This is what's wrong with you. This is the anatomy. This is how I know how to treat this. And this gave me such a different perspective in talking to my clients and really being a better listener. What were their true concerns? What are they feeling in their own body? Not just what I could feel with my hands, but what was their experience? So I've been able to mesh that with in-person PT again, now that mm-hmm. I'm able to get in front of people again. And it's, I've actually taken a step back from some hands-on treatment because I found it to be so effective. Yeah. And it, it, it just the way you described it, they all go so well together that it's great that you're able to offer all of these different avenues for people. Um, And when you do the yoga, are you primarily working with clients that are prenatal, postpartum, or is it a combination? It's a combination. Um, I have a very wide range of clients that come to see me. Um, Some of them have never been pregnant. Some just um, maybe young athletes who are dealing with some incontinence or leaking with double unders is what I hear most often. I leak with double unders, I leak with running, um, and then some people that I see have pelvic pain, and it may be from overactive pelvic muscles, it may be from a trauma, they may be athletes, or they may just have fallen on their butt and have 
pelvic pain or butt pain now. Um, I see people who uh, may have a diagnosis of fibroids or endometriosis who have pelvic pain. And then of course I have my pregnancy and postpartum caseload too. I'm starting to get more women who are older and going through menopause. Um, I've been trying to educate my, myself more in that area. So just I'm starting to treat that age group too. So it's kind of fun. I get the whole spectrum. Yeah. And there's, it's such a wide need, like just hearing you talk about how many different types of patients you could have. It's, it's pretty cool that you get that much of a need and that wide of a spectrum. Everybody says niche down, niche down, just pick one. And I kind of love the variety. Yeah. People start referring, I've had people refer their husbands to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't market to men, but when I help women, they're like, oh, my husband has this, um, or my brother, my brother-in-law. So it. I think niching down would hurt me mm-hmm. in my business. And so it's really helped just to help keep all my skills fresh and just see a variety of people. Well, and I think too, I think for a long time and maybe even still, it's been assumed that really pelvic floor is only women, only pregnancy and postpartum. So by you offering this wide spectrum, you're showing like, no, this actually affects men and women, young and older, pregnant or not pregnant. So I think it's great what you're doing. We all have a pelvic floor, mm-hmm. and if I turned you upside down, the whole bottom of your body is muscular. I think that's what people forget. They think it's bony or ligamentous, which we do have a lot of ligaments down there, but not at the direct bottom of our body. Like if you sat on your hand right now, everything you would touch besides skin would be muscles. So there's a lot of room for error with muscles, you know, um, with any injury, which an injury could be a pregnancy, which can just change how our muscles contract and relax, or a birth. And, you know, <laughs> this is mind blowing to me, but there are studies that show that our pelvic floor stretches up to 350% when we vaginally deliver a baby. That's, again, oh mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> but our muscle in our body has that capability. So you think if we just stretch 350%, we need time and education to get things back before we start loading it and running and jumping and picking yeah. up toddlers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a mom, your life doesn't stop just when you have a baby. Mm-hmm. You still have other things to do. Yeah. So yeah. we have to learn how we can manage that pelvic floor healing time, but also not stop our life. We can't just lay in bed for six or eight weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned when you were talking about yoga being more of like high strung or overactive with the pelvic floor, and you had even quoted on your page, um, if you're a high achiever, you need to get your pelvic floor checked. And I was like, that's me, and I know that that's probably a lot of other people. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and some of maybe the common things you see with people that are maybe constantly on the go or trying to reach that high expectation, how is that impacting maybe the pelvic floor? Yes, and I relate to this. I've always described myself as a type A plus personality. <laughs> I'm always on the go. I'm always trying to achieve the next thing. I'm very driven. And so I do think I attract that type of patient because they can relate to me. So I see it a lot. And I see more pelvic floors that are overactive than actually underactive or weak or floppy, if you will. So this type of pelvic floor and this personality go together because we are constantly holding everything together to move to the next thing. We tend to clench our glutes, hold our abs in, we may hold our shoulders tight, clench our jaw. These are very common patterns for that type A overachiever. We are just pushing through to the next thing. We're not gonna let whatever slow us down or stop us because we got to go. 
So with that type of personality and the clenching, I see a lot of pain conditions. And they may not happen immediately. You may be 25 and holding it all together tight and you don't notice any dysfunction. But then you may get to another age or you may get sick or something may happen. You may get pregnant and you realize, oh, I have jaw pain. Oh, I have butt pain. It hurts to sit for a long time, so I shift and move a lot. Or I have pain with intercourse. I didn't used to have that. What's going on? Sometimes holding, if we help any muscle type for a long time, even your bicep, if you kept your arm, like think about when you're carrying the groceries in and you've got too many on one arm and that arm is flexed, you feel that bicep start to cramp. Mm -hmm. Same thing can happen in our pelvic floor. If we are holding those muscles too tight and not realizing it, the core the same way. I can't tell you how many women I have to say, let your belly go. When we take a deep breath, our belly has to expand or we're not fully filling up our lungs with air. So just helping women understand that that personality also has to at times let go. But we have to kind of, it's that tension to task thought. If I'm giving a presentation, I want to be high strong. I want to be gripping and be able to perform. But when I'm brushing my teeth, I don't need to clench my glutes. <laughs> just understand and having women check in with their bodies when you're doing the dishes. Now, sometimes the dishes are stressful. They're not fun. I get it. But brushing your teeth should not be stressful. So when you're brushing your teeth, check in. Are you gripping through your abs? Are your shoulders up to your ears? Is your butt squeezing together? Those are the most common things that I see. Interesting. Okay. And then what are some of the things like when you do have a patient come in and, and they do, are experiencing that, what are some of the common things that you might work on with them to kind of help alleviate that? I always try to teach them how to connect with their body. Like that example I just gave of checking in to make sure they can relax when they're doing non-stressful things. Um, and then I'll teach them like happy baby. I love yoga poses for that. Most of the people I see either work out a lot or want to work out a lot. And they want to do short, quick workouts because a lot of them are moms. So they want the hip workouts, you know? So I'm like, can you just stop and get on the floor and happy baby, or even a simple legs up the wall and breathe for three minutes and take that full time on every inhale, expand through your whole rib cage to let your lungs fill up with air, expand through your belly, feel that breath to go all the way down to your pelvic floor. And then when you exhale, expand, not expand, contract and let that whole breath come out of you. And just three minutes of that will calm people's nervous system and help them relax their muscles. Sometimes people can't do that. If they're too high strung, they're like, I can't lay on the floor for three minutes. You know, so gentle, repetitive movements. I'll have them sit on a ball and just rock back and forth and talk to me and see if we can get just some nervous system calming that way. But sometimes people need a hand on them and I'll lay my hand on their belly or I'll do some gentle stretching to their legs and they don't even realize they need that. And it's simple. Those are just things that, you know, you can just take a few minutes out of your day. And honestly, like you're talking about, you know, lay on the floor, do happy baby, put your feet up. I'm like, that actually sounds kind of relaxing to do that. <laughs> be surprised how hard it is to do. Yeah. Not, your brain is going to start thinking, I need to be doing the dishes. I need to be doing this. I've got a podcast to do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so no, you're right. You're right. Making the time. Sometimes we have to schedule it in. Yeah. Now, and I want to make sure to touch on this too, because I think a lot of time when people hear about pelvic floor, they think Kegels. And yeah. I would hope like by now in the conversation, you've talked about so many different other things that play into the pelvic floor. But I think that's kind of the one thing that gets thrown at women, both during pregnancy and postpartum, rather than saying, hey, you should see you know, a, ther a physical therapist for this. It's do your Kegels. So um, kind of 
what are your thoughts on that and is there a time and place for them or should women not be doing them kind of where do you stand on that so much to unpack here. I'm not for or against Kegels, but I think you need to be assessed to see if you really need them or if you're doing them correctly. A lot of women, um, especially who've delivered vaginally, they tend to bear down instead of squeeze and lift. So they're not even doing them correctly. So if you're doing 50 a day, but you're doing them wrong, you're putting yourself at risk for a pelvic organ prolapse or more leaking. So get us an assessment, make sure you even know how to do a Kegel correctly. And a Kegel is just a contraction and a relaxation of the pelvic floor. But sometimes people contract, 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 and never fully relax. So that's when we get into that overactivity of our pelvic floor. The biggest thing is we have to teach women how to coordinate their pelvic floor. The, that whole thing of, you know, do 50 Kegels every time you stop at a red light, that's terrible advice. So if you're doing it, stop, because that's not how our body works, first of all. Our pelvic floor is anticipatory, so it contracts when we need support. It's at the bottom of our body. It's a supportive muscle group. So when I go to stand up, my pelvic floor contracts, so I stand and I don't pee and poop on myself when I stand up. So that's how we really need to teach women to contract their pelvic floor, not sitting in a red light. That's not how my pelvic floor contracts. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach them to coordinate it during normal activities so they don't have to think about it. If a pelvic floor works the way it should, we don't have to train it. But when we've had an injury where it may be a fall, it may be a surgery, it may be a pregnancy, we might need to take some time to retrain it and strengthen it or downtrain it depending on what's going on with that. Yeah. So I think just giving blanket Kegels is terrible advice for people. But yes, there is a time and a place where I get that client who has a very weak pelvic floor and I need to teach them to contract their pelvic floor correctly. Also, our pelvic floor, just like our legs, have fast and slow twitch muscles. So sometimes I might have to teach them to do quick contractions. So when they sneeze, their pelvic floor reacts quickly. Sometimes I may need to teach them to do long, slow holds. So if they're on a car ride with a full bladder, they don't pee all over themselves in the car. So we make it very functional and very specific to the activity and not just blanket. Here's a bunch of people's. Right. Yeah. And it's it, the way you said, you know, it's they could be doing them wrong and then doing more harm than good. Um, but it's hard because the pelvic floor is not, you know, it's not a muscle you can see. It's one that's difficult to connect with. Um, I know when I went during pregnancy and saw a pelvic floor physical therapist, they were able to hook me up to like an ultrasound and zoom in on the pelvic floor and I could see then. But it it was so hard for me because even just like, you know, they'd tell me, think about it. They would cue me. And I was like, I just can't connect to it. I don't know what's going on down there. Um, so seeing it helped. But do you have other, you know, tips or things that you do to help your clients in those scenarios when they're struggling to connect with that? It takes time. And I always tell them that it's way more mental in the beginning than it is physical. You know, you hear physical therapists and you think, oh, they're going to go and give me a bunch of exercises. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just want them to be able to connect. And that may be me touching their pelvic floor through an exam and tapping the muscle I want to contract. They may need that tactile cue. Sometimes it's them touching externally the area. Um, and sometimes verbal cues work really well, like envisioning a flower opening for the relaxation phase or a flower closing. Um, there's all sorts of cues. Sometimes I give weird cues, like pretend you're picking up a blueberry with your vagina. I've heard and that so, one. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes just the right verbal cue will strike someone. And it just depends on what type of learner people are. Some people need to hear it. Some people need to envision it. Some people need you to touch it. 
Um, or like you said, the ultrasound or electrical stimulation. Sometimes we use those two things to help people see it and know mm -hmm. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't, with that being said, I know there are a lot of devices you can buy online and I don't recommend women buying them. Um, usually they're devices you insert and they say you squeeze and then you, on your phone, you see something happen, whether it's a fish jump in the water to register pressure um, so women can know or to train their pelvic floor. I don't recommend these because they just feel pressure. So if you are squeezing, it's going to react. If you are pushing down, it's going to react. So again, it goes back to that. You might not be doing that Kegel correctly and then you're not training the right thing. So they can be great devices after you've met with a pelvic floor PT to make sure you're doing the right exercise, but don't just buy them and hope to fix your problem because you may be doing it wrong. Interesting. I didn't even know that was a thing, but yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. And you know, I'm glad that like, I really think people are going to get a lot from this conversation because there's just, like I said at the beginning, such a gray area around here. And I, after going through my own postpartum experience, firmly believe that all women should at least get like one visit <laughs> postpartum and then they can decide, you know, what they want to do from there. But just one visit, it should be wrapped into their, you know, six or eight week checkup and just something to at least educate them and then women can decide from there, you know, what they want to do. Yeah. I have virtual calls with people. I'm not allowed to put my hands, like do an internal pelvic exam before roughly six weeks, but about two weeks, two to three weeks, I'll check in virtually with some clients and I can do this for people in my state or out of state because you have a lot of questions, especially if it's your first baby, even if it's not your first baby, if you had a different delivery than your other deliveries. Um, Six weeks is a long time to wait to get your answers, your questions answered. So I love to check in virtually and just see what's going on. What questions do you have? Do you have any pain, abnormal pain, you know? Mm -hmm. And I hear a lot of women that are nursing, oh, my neck and back hurt. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about ways to stretch that. Like there's so many things that we don't need to wait until six weeks to try to help women feel better. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And that, you know, slides us right into um, – ways that people can work with you. I'd love for you to share because you talked about virtual. Now your in-person is open again. So what are some of the ways that people can work with you? And I'll make sure to put this in the show notes too. Yeah. So I'm probably most active on Instagram and you can find me at the pelvic yogi. Um, but so that means that if you reach out to me virtually, I can treat anybody in any state and it's a coaching call. Basically it's their zoom and we just talk about whatever concerns you have, if you need me to create an exercise program or even find you a pelvic floor PT in your area, I can do that. Um, and then if you live local to me or even come and see me in Tennessee, um, I live in Nashville, then I can do a regular in-person PT exam. So, Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Now I love asking too, as we wrap up, I love talking to moms and hearing kind of how they upgraded since becoming a mom. And I use the word upgrade because I think a lot of times on social media, we see a lot of the negatives, the sleep deprived, the breastfeeding, the pelvic floor, all those things that are realities of motherhood. But I love to hear the positives too. So what would you say in your experience since becoming a mom was a way that you upgraded? The self-talk to myself. You know, we can be our own worst critic and I have three daughters and it's really important to me to watch how I talk to myself, how I even think to myself that they can't even hear. It's just in my head because I look at them as beautiful creatures. I want them to be strong women, independent women, soft women too, you know. So I've, I've really changed how I look at myself 
And I'm not even just talking about physically. I'm talking about mentally or, you know, those comments we say in our head, oh, that was so dumb or that was ridiculous or you didn't handle that social situation well. I'm trying to reframe all of that. And it's hard, you know, but I think just seeing especially, and I don't, I can't speak to having sons, but especially raising three daughters, it's critical that we think highly of ourselves and that we feel good about ourselves. I love that. That was actually one of the first responses I've gotten like that. And I have a daughter too, so I think I'm going to steal that. But it is, they, they're watching you and they watch the way that you speak about yourself and how you react to things around you and they're going to mimic you. Yeah. And I, I think the world of my daughters, they're amazing. I don't want them to feel bad about themselves for a second. Mm-hmm. And I want them to be confident enough that if somebody speaks bad to them, that they brush it off. Mm. You know? Yeah. They, they know their self-worth. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you. thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And really, this was so informative for me. I know it will be for listeners, too, to just hear more about this area that all of us should be a little bit more exposed to and educated in, and I hope we're moving in that direction. Thank you so much for having me. If anybody has any questions, please just reach out to me. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Mom's Full Circle podcast, be sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our new episodes. I'm always looking to expand my tribe, so please reach out. You can find me at Caroline underscore Crestano on social media. I can't wait to connect with you and I'll catch you in the next episode.